This is Ryan Aber from the Oklahoman. Uh, here, the Sooners Extra post game edition after uh, OU's 33 3 victory over Kent State uh, on Saturday night, joined by uh, Jenny Carlson and uh, Justin Martinez here. Uh, gonna get Jenny uh, able to, uh, to speak here. Uh, thank y'all so much for joining us. Uh, gonna uh, talk about what happened tonight and look at a little bit forward to uh, next week. Uh, a wild day in college football, Jenny. But uh, OU, after some, some shakiness, quite a bit of shakiness in the first half, was able to uh, avoid the fate that uh, we saw befall uh, several other big-name teams today. See, Jenny, you there? I'm sorry, Ryan. I didn't hear. What, I didn't. I didn't hear. I didn't hear any of your question. I, yeah, I, 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 ha, I had you, then you cut out, and I have no idea what you asked. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. No problem. Just uh, uh, talked about OU. You know, the the first half obviously was uh, pretty shaky there, but then they were able to uh, settle in and uh, uh, avoid the fate of uh, several other big name teams that we saw today, especially uh, Notre Dame and A and M. Yeah, for sure. This was a day of unexpected upsets. You know, obviously, there's some big-name non-conference games that you got going on, and you kind of know where those are and where those might, you know, you might see some competitive games, but did not expect Marshall to go to Notre Dame and beat the, fi- you know, beat the Fighting Irish, and you got Texas A&M losing at home as well to App State. So, you know, you kind of start to look around and wonder, is, is today that day? in uh, the world of college football. But, yeah, uh, some shaky moments for OU in the first half. Um, you know, maybe not so much defensively. Struggled a little bit to tackle and some things like that. But really held Kent, Kent State at bay. But it was, the, it was the offense. It was really struggling to get on track. And clearly that got better uh, late in the first half and then uh, throughout the second half. But, yeah, that first half was, uh, was a bit of a clunker for the OU offense. Yeah, it really was. And, and Justin – uh, four punts on the first four, 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 four drives from the Sooners, and it sort of highlighted what Jeff Levy talked about earlier in the week, which is, hey, the key to running the tempo that the Sooners want to run is getting first downs and keeping the, the chains moving, and they just didn't do that early for a lot of reasons. The offensive line struggled. The, uh, the, the running game uh, didn't get going. Uh, there for for a lot of the first half. What what was to you maybe the most concerning thing about those early struggles for the Sooners' offense? Yeah, I mean, you know, it starts with the line of scrimmage. You know, when you're not able to to win that battle down low, it obviously makes things a lot harder for for the quarterback to have enough time to settle in, also for the running backs to be able to find holds. So, I mean, you got to give credit to Kent State. You know, they they had a few guys that were really being disruptive there, especially in the first half. You know. Khalid Johns had a pair of sacks. Shane Slattery had a sack as well. I mean, you know, Brent had said this prior that, you know, he, he was expecting Kent State to come out and, and give them a fight early on. And he was interested to see how his team was going to respond. But, you know, I thought in the second half you could see those changes. The, like you said, the offensive line started to settle in. Um, Eric Gray, Marcus Major started to get going. Dylan Gabriel was really starting to find Marvin Mims a lot more. So, you know, those were just a few of the reasons why they were really starting to turn it back on. But, yeah, in the first half, credit to, to Kent State for, for being able to, to cause, those, cause those problems up front. 
Yeah, they uh, they they certainly did that, and you know it was interesting on the offensive line. We saw some shuffling around over there, especially with the tackles shifting. Uh, Tyler Guyton and Anton Harrison. We saw them shift last week from what they were uh, listed at on the depth chart. So not entirely surprising with uh, a week of preparation to see them uh, switch back. We'll see what happens when uh, Wanye Morris is is available. Brent Venables said that he still considered. Wanya Morris, a starter, uh, but uh, hasn't played over the first couple games. He said after the game that he anticipated this might be the week when Morris comes back. We'll see how that shakes out. But certainly they've got to get some better production up there, better uh, protection. Uh, It was really tough going for OU's running game, especially in the first half, just seven yards on the ground. Uh, Jenny, how concerned are you with that? You know, not necessarily looking for uh, to next week against Nebraska. Nebraska is a team with plenty of its own problems, but uh, looking beyond that, obviously, especially with what we saw from Texas's defense today, uh, you know, that's uh, some level of concern there. Yeah, I, I think it is. Um, you know, obviously, the the passing game opened up the run game. I mean, we saw that with that final um, possession of the first half, uh, you know, five pass plays that were all completions, sets up the Marvin Mims, Mims touchdown, the momentum shifts, the confidence builds in Oklahoma's offense, you know, takes off. And I think that that had a huge impact on what we saw out of the run game. But, you know, when Oklahoma is in a mode where they want to establish the run game, when they want to dictate, you don't see them have that success in the first half. And, you know, you mentioned that the, the moves that uh, across the offensive line that could have played a part, could have been the scheme a little bit that, you know, they were seeing for the first time and having to adjust to. But when you're going against a group of five school, you expect that, you know, yeah, there may be some things that you have to adjust to, but you really don't expect to have that tough a time. And and I think that, you know, it was it was scheme. It was offensive line. I think it was a little bit of running backs too. I mean, I, I uh, Jeff Lebby at one point referenced in the post game that Eric Gray had a play in the first half that uh, he said it went for four yards. I didn't find any four yard runs by Eric Gray in the first half. I think it was a five yard run. But then the very same play call, same setup, second half, forty three yards. So not to say that there weren't other things that played there, but it may be that the running backs weren't helping matters either. So. You gotta, you gotta have somebody to break through that malaise a little bit. And, you know, we've all said all along that this running back group, while decent, maybe didn't have a guy that you just really felt like, wow, this guy could, you know, take, take some snaps in a crucial moment and really carry the load for OU. And maybe we saw a little bit of that today. Maybe that changes. I mean, we've seen guys evolve as seasons have gone on, but that's the type of thing that, yeah, it's maybe not so much related to Nebraska, but, you know, against Big 12 teams, when you want to run the ball, you want to be able to dictate that. And I think that, to me, is the thing about what we saw tonight that is at least a little bit troubling for the Sooners. Yeah, and I'm, I'm still not sure Eric Gray is a guy that's just going to be that sort of every down type nope. of back. Clearly, they're, the skill set that he has fits in really well with what Jeff Levy wants to do offensively, but... Marcus Major tonight, seven and seven point six yards per carry, uh, just just five carries, but had thirty eight yards. A productive day for him. Had uh, a, you know a, a touchdown uh, there. 
we got to see Javante Barnes a, a little bit earlier, but I, you know, really the, the big key for OU's offense was that last drive just before halftime to, to be in a difficult position there. They get the ball with uh, what was a little bit over uh, a minute left to go in the, uh, the uh, first half, got it with a minute 10 left to go, had to go 76 yards. So they've got to go fast. There's no, uh, no excuses for, for slowing things down. And Dylan Gabriel gets it started with a, a little pass out to Eric Gray and, and showed off uh, some of that. And then OU, a little bit off to the races, had a, a false start there a couple plays later, but didn't hurt him a ton, but really was able to exploit the mismatch on Marvin Mims and uh, went out to him on the sidelines a couple of times and then took a deep shot that got them in the end zone, Justin, there uh, with with 18 seconds left and really started to turn the momentum of this game around. And, um, you know, this this even though I know a lot of OU fans are disappointed that they're down seven to three, the uh, players that we talked to afterwards said that that really helped them uh, going into halftime feel good about uh, the direction the game was going. Yeah, for sure. You know, Brent had talked about that he was really pleased, obviously not pleased with the first half the way they played, but he was really pleased with how they looked in the locker room. You know, that he said that it was all business is what he said, that there wasn't any panic with them. They were still poised and just kind of trying to figure out what they need to do to to come out in the second half and, and really turn it on, which they were able to do. So, you know, definitely, like you said, the fans aren't going to be happy with that first half performance, but I think there is – you know, something to say about the way that this team responded. You know, that's something that, you know, you're not playing, you're not facing these these really good teams in, in non-conference play. You know, this is Kent State and Utah that we're, Utah that we're talking about here. But get moments like that when you are able to kind of face that adversary, adversity and actually overcome it, like that's something that you can really build on moving forward. So I, I do think that that was a really key moment for them. And just the way that they responded is, is something that's going to help build the identity of this team, which is something that Brent Venables was also saying, you know, that they're still in the process of that and moments like that really help. Hey guys, yeah. I, I thought it, I thought it was big too, that, you know, they, they took some timeouts on that defensive possession before they scored the touchdown and, and Venables talked in the post game about, you know, they wanted, they want to get the ball back for the offense. You know, at that point there, there wasn't a whole lot of reason to believe in that offense and what they'd done to that point. But, he wanted to give them one more chance before the half was up to sort of make a statement. And, you know, there was some pressure in that moment to, you know, they, they get the ball and, you know, if they, if they clunk down there and they go to halftime, it's like, well, golly, you know, where are we now? Instead they stood up, they rose up, defense gets them the ball back. They go out and score quick. So I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you guys. I think that there was a lot to like about the response in that moment uh, on both sides of the ball, really. Yeah, absolutely, and and that defense really sort of played bend but don't break early uh, for for a big chunk of that first half. Um, Kent State was able to move the ball, but wasn't able to to finish much. Got the one field goal uh, there, uh, uh, you know, early in the second quarter, and then missed the one right before that drive that we talked about with Marvin Mims. But uh, Justin in the second half. That defense really uh, buckled up, talked to, to Danny Stutzman after the game, and he said, you know, one of the points of discussion at halftime was, hey, the defense saying, 
hey, offense, you're going to go out and score this first one. We're going to get a three and out, and then you're going to go out and score again, and the complexion of this game is completely going to change. And, uh, you know, that's uh, pretty well uh, exactly what happened. Kent State uh, wound up uh, actually fumbling on that first drive, uh, their first drive uh, in that uh, third quarter, so didn't even get uh, the the full uh, three and out. It was just sort of a two and out. But uh, the uh, the or, uh, but that the momentum really kicked the other way uh, early in that third quarter. Yeah, you know, Brent had said after the game, or he's really been saying this a lot lately, is complimentary football. You know, the offense feeding off the defense, and the defense feeding off the offense, and you could really see that in the third quarter. You know, you look at the turnovers, like you said that. You know, Billy Bowman hosting that fumble. You look at Marcus Major getting it started on the scoreboard in the second half with breaking free for that run. I mean, you can just kind of sense that they were really starting to feed off of each other. And, you know, that's when this team is going to be at its best, you know. So definitely that third quarter was was the momentum shifter. And, and yeah, it's, it's just all about feeding off of each other's momentum, which they were able to do. Yeah, Jenny, and, and we talk about the, the running game and their, their troubles early, but they were able to get it going there really quickly uh, in the second half. I think they had, uh, what was it, uh, 31 uh, yards rushing, I believe, uh, just uh, right there off the bat uh, in, in those first uh, couple drives there in the third quarter and, and found some open space for Eric Gray to work, uh, yeah. both especially in the running game and uh, like like Justin mentioned, Marcus Major with a big 16-yard touchdown run, but uh, really changed the complexion of that game really quick there in the second half. Yeah, uh, you know, Eric Gray's first touch of the second half, he gets eight yards, and they've matched, they've, they've surpassed the first half total. So, you know, I think that right there was kind of a, a moment where you felt like, okay, you know, maybe some of the shackles are off a little bit. Um, but, you know, they, they – uh, they went to Marvin Mims the first two plays after halftime, after he had the three plays right before halftime. So, you know, they wanted to, they wanted to exploit that. You know, they had a guy that they felt, you know, was winning his matchup and the evidence is clear. He was, you know, so why not keep going to him, continue to soften up that defense. And then, yeah, I, you know, Eric Gray, I, I think he's, I think he's a talented running back, but his size isn't um, sort of conducive to being, uh, pounding back, uh, you know, he needs some space to operate. Um, I keep thinking, and maybe this is just in the playbook until a little bit later in the season that we're going to see, you know, some of these guys, Eric Gray to me is a guy that you want to get in space and throw the ball to. So it seems like that's going to happen. I just don't know when, you know, we really haven't seen a ton of, uh, you know, passes to the, to the, to the tailbacks just yet this season, but you got to think you've got guys, like Gray, who's, you know, kind of smaller, shifty guy. We've seen some great moves out of Marcus Major. That touchdown he scores on, he kind of puts the brakes on, lets the defender, you know, slide by him, and he walks into the end zone and touch, basically. So you've got some guys that can make, you know, guys miss in the open field. I think it'll be interesting to see, do they start to use those guys in that way as well? And, you know, maybe that changes the complexion of what they can do offensively and, and, you know, gives them then when they do hand it off to them additional space to, to be able to work. Yeah. And Brent Venables alluded to that. Uh, you know, when I asked him about the running game uh, a- after the game that, you know, maybe they were holding some stuff back 
I think they used had to use a little bit more than maybe they wanted to in this game to finally get some separation. But, you know, clearly they're going to do some different things here as the uh, schedule starts to get more difficult both this week as they go uh, up to Nebraska, but then beyond as the uh, the Big 12 schedule starts with, uh, you know, Kansas State, TCU, and then obviously Texas. Uh, to to turn things around, so I think this uh, this playbook, Justin, is is going to start getting opened up a little bit more than what we've seen through these first couple games. Yeah, definitely. You know, and also just getting a lot more a lot of the different guys involved as well. You know, that's something they've talked about too. Is you know these these non conference games are good opportunities to kind of give some of these reserves chances to to show what they have, and that'll probably set the tone for who gets more reps. Uh, later down the season so you know we'll see who who ends up getting more involved moving forward but definitely you know it's it's gonna have to expand and adjust because you know teams are you don't want teams to just be able to catch on right away so I thought we'll, it, we'll see mm-hmm. go ahead Justin sorry no go ahead <laughs> now I thought I thought a good wrinkle tonight offensively was Daniel Parker obviously he had the sniffles last week which I've said I'm in the sniffles mean COVID camp. So uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but he was out last week, so we didn't get to see him. But I thought he was an interesting add to the mix tonight. And uh, I know that was because of, you know, uh, illness last week. But you just kind of wonder as they continue to, you know, throw different things out there, you know, what's a guy like him or, you know, some of these other things, like where do those wrinkles and changes come from? I think it could be really interesting to see what these next few weeks hold. Yeah, and and Parker's certainly an intriguing guy. Not only he had a couple of catches tonight for 21 yards, but, uh, you know, to to have the the blocking ability that he does that's, you know, significantly different from the skill set that, say, Braden Willis uh, brings to that position certainly gives them some more flexibility, the ability to do some different things. But, uh, you know, Jenny, got to take some time to talk about Drake Stoops' uh, uh, catch there for the touchdown there, the, the third quarter that really starts putting this game away, makes it 24-3. to And what a play by him to, to be able to get into the end zone. It looked like he was going to get stopped on a couple of different times, but just kept fighting, kept fighting, and kept fighting. And then all of a sudden, uh, we see the the official raise his hands and says he's in the end zone. Turns out uh, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, I mean, just a very indicative play of his sort of style and career. You know, not really willing to uh, you know to to let you know anything uh, you know sort of stand in his way if he can help it. So yeah, I thought it was a, I thought it was a great you know, great play. Um, you know, just, uh, I think that's the type of thing that, you know, there's been different times and it's been said different ways, but, you know, as Brent Venables and his staff have come in, you know, they, they want, they want guys to, to work for this. You know, they don't want, they don't want anybody to think that this is, you know, winning at Oklahoma is a given. You don't win by assuming it's going to happen. You really have to get after it. Um, you know, Brent even talked about that at one point tonight, talking about, or if it's Danny Stutzman or Reggie Grimes or who he was talking about. But, you know, sort of that mantra has come through a lot of different ways. And, you know, I think Drake Stoops is the kind of guy that, like, he was already bought into that before Brent Venables came along. But now he's the type of guy that Brent can point to, you know, in case anybody needs to know what it looks like, he can say, hey, guys, watch this guy on film. 
Yeah, just a, a really impressive uh, catch there for him and, and just something that Drake Stoop seems to do fairly regularly and find ways to make those big-time, physical, gritty plays that can help define a team. And you know, we'll see how big a piece that winds up being, but certainly a, a big deal for them uh, tonight. Uh, moving back to the defensive side, Justin, a lot of guys with a, a ton of tackles tonight. They had three guys with uh, double-digit tackles with Stutzman. Uh, Danny Stutzman with 12, had four for loss, a sack. Billy Bowman, uh, you know, we talked about him earlier with the uh, forced fumble and the, and the recovery there. He had 11. Uh, and then Justin Broyles, a guy that you know a lot of people like to – throw out as an example of why their secondary maybe isn't up to par that, Hey, if you're rolling out a guy like Justin Broyles, then you know, how can you be that good? But Hey, Justin Broyles, there's a reason why now, you know, with the two completely different staffs over the last couple of years that he keeps finding his way onto the field. And that's because, you know, turns out yeah, he can play a little bit of football, which is what we expected of him. Uh, coming out of high school, but just hadn't seen a lot of until last year. But he certainly uh, had a strong start to the season. Yeah, you know, it's a really good balance. You know, having guys like like Justin Bro. Excuse me, if I'm out of breath. By the way, I'm running in the rain here, uh, so I just got to my car. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, having a guy like Justin Broyles, who, like you said, has been here, has had the fight for his role over the years, that's valuable. But then you have the balance too with some of the younger guys, like like Danny Stutzman, who's only what? That was his second uh, career start. So, I mean, you know, just being able to, to have that balance of of kind of guys who can lead the way, but also guys that are up and coming. I mean, both of them had big nights. Billy Bowman, another sophomore, also had a big night. So, I mean, that's just a really encouraging sign of, of kind of like, you know, where the defense is heading this season, to have that balance. Hey, guys, I, I thought it was cool after uh, after the game. Uh, Marvin Mims got asked about Danny Stutzman, and he said, I don't really care that much about defense, but Danny makes me want to watch the defense, which I thought was <laughs> both honest and revealing. I mean, just, uh, you know, Marvin Mims, pretty electric guy. Uh, you know, he's not going to he's not going to sit around and watch somebody that, uh, you know, he doesn't think is is uh, is worthy of, you know, uh, of his time in that regard. So I think that speaks highly to, you know, just the type of fire that Danny Stutzman brings to the field. He seemed to be everywhere tonight, guys. I felt like maybe he maybe he did play every play, but if he didn't, it seemed like he was out there every play. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see the the play breakdown numbers a little bit more to see how that uh, shook out. But yeah, Danny Stutzman was was all over the place and Jenny, I'm glad you brought that up cuz that's uh you know, I'm writing about Stutzman and sitting here started my story, but might have to go in a little bit uh, slightly different direction with the, uh, you know, part of that story with uh, what Marvin had to say. Hadn't quite got a chance to look at uh, those comments, but certainly falls in line with a lot of the stuff we've heard about Danny Stutzman and, and the attitude that he brings to that position. You know, Brent Venables said that he really challenged Stutzman when he first arrived, when Venables first arrived to do the little things and do the extra things to go from being 
sort of a middle of the road type of player, a guy that had played a, a fair amount last year as a freshman, but hadn't really just popped to, you know, being one of the guys. And certainly we've seen uh, Danny Stutzman continue to do that. And he did it early tonight and then was able to uh, maintain that really throughout the game. You know, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know who Brent would say uh, the answer to this question is, but I have to think there's probably a linebacker or two that Brent has coached that Stutzman reminds him of. And I, you know, I, there's obviously been a great litany of, you know, standout linebackers at Oklahoma. And, you know, I'm not saying that Stutzman's there yet. He's young, but he's young. And so I think the fact that he's been as effective as he's been, uh, you know, Brent, I don't think, you know, Venables is not going to put somebody out there who's, you know, completely incapable. And, and Stutzman has shown that he is definitely capable. And so I think you, you add in, you know, his ability, you add in his youth, which means he's still on a trajectory that is going up. Kind of wonder where Brent, and it's maybe something that I, I ask him this week at some point, um, where does he, you know, who does he put him in the mold of? You know, is he, is he in the Rocky Kalmus mold? Is he in the Teddy Lehman mold? You know, who, who does he kind of fit? Is there a guy that he thinks about in the way that Stutzman plays? He's very much got the hair on fire mentality. So uh, maybe that, I don't know, maybe that fits somebody else, a Torrance Marshall. Maybe there's somebody else that he would say, you know, I don't think physique-wise Stutzman's quite Torrance Marshall, but maybe he'll get there. <laughs> I don't know. But I just to me, that, that linebacker position, Brent played it. You know, obviously that's such a centerpiece of his defense. It's just, I, I started thinking about that tonight. You know, where, what does he, who does he see when he watches Danny Stutzman running around out there besides seeing Stutzman himself? Like who else in his mind is he thinking this guy might project to be, you know, X, Y, Z before the end of his career. I think it'll be fascinating to see how that develops over Stutzman's career. Yeah, Jenny. And, uh, you know, I think just looks wise, he looks a lot like Rocky uh, for, from, Back in the day, more like face and, and things like that. Clearly not. Uh, he's got a long way to go to be in, in Rocky uh, Kalmus's, uh caliber uh, of player. But uh, certainly you can see the, the connection there. It'll be interesting to see uh, how, how Brent answers that one. Because certainly Stutzman is a guy that plays like a lot of the guys that, uh, you know, Brent Venables uh really loved from uh, some of those early teams that he had and the great linebackers, uh, you know, again, Danny Stutzman's got quite a ways to go to be in that category, but certainly uh, seems to be heading in the right direction uh, after today. And, and Jenny also wanted to ask you about Justin Broyles. We talked about, I talked about it with Justin uh, Martinez just a second ago, but uh, you know, it seems like Justin Broyles is one of those guys who, is is underappreciated until uh, maybe he's not around anymore and you don't have him to you know you you he's not there just to rely on constantly but he's been a big key for this defense uh, in being able to play several different positions over the last couple of years and, and certainly continuing that this season I know the name this name won't do anything for some people but for others this will ring a bell Eric Bassey is a guy that I often come back to when I think about underappreciated Sooners, you know, he followed, uh, he, he had the unfortunate job of following Roy Williams. And so 
anybody that's going to step into Roy Williams, you know, shoes is, you know, can he wear Superman's cape? Probably not. But Eric Bassey was pretty darn solid player at the end of the day. Um, you know, not an award winner necessarily, but you got to have some, you got to have some worker bees out there and he could do a pretty good job. And I think that's what a lot of people, sure. You'd love it if all 11 were up for national awards and first team all conference, but you know, there's always going to be some guys you just need to go out and not make a bunch of boneheaded plays. And I think that, you know, Justin Broyles has shown that he's, he's not a guy that's going to, you know, hurt you in, in many ways. And so I think maybe the appreciation, maybe it never goes up. I don't know. You know, some, sometimes you got guys that no matter what they do, they could, you know, go out and win three ball games back to back and people are still going to think, you know, not very well of them, but you know, you got to have some guys that are just going to go out and fill their gap and make tackles when they come to them and, you know, be solid players. And I think in addition to being those things for this team, Justin Broyles is also a leader. You know, there's, there's been guys over the years that maybe people on the outside haven't seen it, but people inside have said, Hey, this guy's a leader. And I get the feeling like that guy is a leader. Um, and that's important too. So, you know, I think fill in a lot of, a lot of roles that maybe aren't super appreciated, but yeah, I thought tonight was, you know, on the stat sheet was a big night for him. I mean, I was looking at uh, tackles for loss. Sooners had 14, and they really got them from all over, linebackers, defensive ends, defensive uh, tackles. But they also got one from the secondary, and that was Justin Broyles. So I think that it just showed he he's not just some guy. You know, he's he's capable of filling that role, and I thought tonight was a really good night for him to, to show that. Yeah, it absolutely was. Justin uh, tied his career high with 11 tackles. The one tackle for loss, like Jenny mentioned. He also started this game as uh, Key Lawrence was out at, at free safety. Brent Venables said that uh, Key uh, twi- tweaked his hamstring a little bit this week, said he didn't anticipate it being a long-term deal, but we'll see if uh, he's back uh, next week uh, uh, up in Lincoln. But uh, Justin uh, Got to ask what you thought of the light show tonight. A much different atmosphere tonight versus uh, a week ago when we saw the stadium empty out fairly early, thanks in large part to the heat. Didn't have that. Cooled off a little bit uh, there uh, in the first half. Got some wind kicking up, which is something we haven't seen much in a while. And then uh, we got a chance to see OU's new lights. Went with uh, some LED uh, new LED lighting in the stadium that gives them some flexibility over what to do. And uh, they, they did some different things with that tonight. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have to change it to the party on the prairie now. I mean, I thought there was a power outage at first when the lights went out. And then all of a sudden it starts like strobing and there's like electronic music going on. I was like, what is going on? But it was it was cool. I mean, it was something that it, it really shows how effective it is when obviously the fourth quarter was mostly garbage time at that point and yet the fans were still into it you know and I think that says a lot especially when you look compared to, to like last week against UTEP which obviously di- different circumstances it was really hot last week but I mean you could just tell that the engagement from the fans down the stretch of that game when the game is you know already out of hands and OU has already won this handily the fans are still going crazy for everything down the stretch of that I think that really has to be an encouraging sign for people at OU to see that, you know, 
and support is still there uh, at times like that. And yeah, the light show definitely played a big part in it. Um, I thought it was really cool. The players sounded like they didn't even know it was going to be a thing tonight. Um, so it took them by surprise as well. But just from everyone we talked to, it seemed like everyone really enjoyed it. Yeah, you, uh, I got a chance to talk to just chat with Joe Castiglione a little bit after the game. And he said this is something that had uh, been in the works for a couple of years that they were going to do it pre-pandemic and and obviously the pandemic slowed that down a little bit but we're able to get the new lighting uh you know in the off season gives them some more flexibility they don't have to uh warm up at all like the old lights so uh you can, it's a lot brighter one for the amount of lights but two you can do some different things eventually there'll be some different color uh, variations. Uh, not sure that those will be on the actual light uh, fixtures themselves or on the uh, the side of the stadium, but they can do some uh, cool things uh, there with those. But you know, another thing that Joe mentioned to me as we're chatting about it was that they've made a concerted effort to bring in folks into their athletic department. When you talk about game production, that. Uh, have have been at places that have tried some different things, including uh, one of their their guys has uh, spent some time with the NHL with the Vegas Golden Knights. We've seen what they've done as far as their game production. I got to experience it last December, going to a, a Knights game out there, and you know certainly uh, they've been looking for things to do to energize the crowd in some ways. And uh, Jenny, it seemed like they did that a little bit. We'll see uh, how they're able to sustain it, but uh, early returns are pretty good, especially on a game that, uh, you know, was a little bit of a a clunker there early. Yeah. You know, two things struck me about that. One is there's been some years when, you know, OU's had so many 11 o'clock kicks, (laughs) Uh, you know, dog whistle issue right here for the OU fans out there, but you know, so many 11 o'clock kicks, they wouldn't have been able to, you know, use the lights, but like, you know, twice in the year or something, if that, you know, so it was nice to have a night game where they could, where they could debut that. But the second thing I was thinking is, as you know, that was all happening was it it had the feel of some of the stuff you see in the SEC stadiums, which, you know, obviously everybody's going to do something a little bit different, but it just makes you think OU has done a lot of things internally to start to ramp up for its move to the SEC these, this may be one of those things that is visible externally to people to say, hey, you know, OU's taking steps to really try to improve and enhance what they're already doing. Um, clearly, it's the on the field, the wins, the, you know, the, the football team, the strength of that squad that makes the most difference as it relates to being in the SEC. But, you know, there's also all these other bells and whistles that are involved. And maybe this was just, you know, sort of that, tip of the iceberg that people would say oh yeah you know remember the first time Marcus Major runs into the end zone and the lights go out yeah I was the same Justin I was like wait what just happened are we (laughs) did did we lose power to the stadium is you know is this Kansas all over again from last year when the the power went out you know I didn't know what was happening um but you know I think it could be the start of several things more enhancements in stadium as uh, as the Sooners point more and more towards the day when they're in the SEC yeah, and, and there will be uh, s- some more things that they try, but certainly an interesting. It did remind me of some. I think Alabama uh, does something like that after big plays after they score and uh, turns the stadium red. I think in Alabama. 
Yeah, so I, I think we could see something like that uh, in Norman eventually, but um, uh, for right now, the flashing lights certainly give us a, a much different uh, view on things after the big plays. We got to see that quite a bit uh, there in the second half. I was sitting here watching the uh, the end of this BYU-Baylor game. Heck, uh, another fantastic finish. Uh, looking like it's lining up uh, down there. But uh, let's just talk about the day overall, guys. Uh, we see, mentioned it earlier, Texas A&M goes down. Notre Dame uh, goes down. Heck, Wisconsin falls to uh, Washington State. And then uh, the team that OU plays next week, Justin, we uh, watch uh, Nebraska go down yet again as uh, to this time to Georgia Southern as Scott Frost record in uh, one possession tight games just uh, continues to implode. Yeah. I mean, just a, a crazy week. I think Jenny had mentioned it earlier that, you know, you're, you you kind of watch all that unfold and see how OU plays in the first half. And you're like, Oh man, what are we in for here? But I think that was just kind of the sense of, of, all of today, you know, is that, I mean, really anything can happen. And Dylan Gabriel was also talking about that after the game that, you know, they don't take any opponent lightly because they look and they see things like this happen across the country. And they know that, you know, you can't take off any of these, any of these games. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it was definitely a crazy day. I was, I was kind of hoping Texas would get added to that list, but we're not going to talk about that. Um, (laughs) but, But yeah, definitely, definitely a crazy, crazy day for sure. Well, guys, we yeah. knew that we knew the Big Twelve was going to have some parity. You know, I mean, like we had, uh, I think, what five or six teams got first place votes in the preseason Big Twelve poll. So, you know, the expectation that you know, there's five or six teams probably that are going to be in the mix for Big Twelve championship. I just don't know if I thought there was quite the national level of parity. And who knows? Maybe at the end of the year, we're saying parity, schmarity. It's Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia. And, you know, whoever else in the playoff that everybody's expecting to be in there. But at least for today, you know, this was the level. This is kind of a, a, a level of, um, you know, upsets and, and, and chaos that we usually don't see until a little later in the season. So it was kind of interesting to see it in week two, you know, early September to have this much um, this much upheaval on one college football Saturday. Yeah, I will say, as someone who's got to sit down here in the next couple hours, I, I'm going to do some writing here and then sit down and, and try to come up with a top 25 poll, which if anybody wants to uh, you know, throw out some suggestions, I'm all open for them because it's going to be a, a bit of a challenge this week. But, Jenny, you mentioned Alabama. You know, I think there's certainly things that we saw today that are really concerning with them with the penalty numbers that they have with their, their offense never really seem to get in the flow. Do they have that big time receiver? You know, are they able to uh, run the ball effectively the rest of the year? That'll be interesting to watch. And that's, you know, not taking anything away from what Texas did today, especially defensively, but certainly there were some concerning signs for Alabama. Uh, There did not see Texas A&M and, uh, Notre Dame's loss is happening, although Notre Dame, just their offense is, uh, you know, sort of a mess right now. And we'll see if Marcus Freeman's able to turn that around. First uh, Notre Dame coach, I believe, ever 
to start his career 0 and 3. Of course, Oklahoma State uh, got the uh, the first blow in on that last year in the bowl game, but uh, uh, definitely a wild day. Continuing to right now with BYU and Baylor, a game we expected to be really good is uh, you know tied here in the last uh, with 23 seconds left. So should be a fun uh, next few weeks. But Jenny, is Scott Frost the Cornhuskers coach next week? And if he Oof. is, if he is, uh, does an OU victory next week if they're able to to go up there and, and win? Uh, you know, put the final nail in his coffin. It could. It definitely could. I mean, I think that that is a possibility. Um, you know, I, I, um, I, you know, I don't know if he survives the weekend, quite honestly. Um, but I just, I don't know what what the next step is for Nebraska if they fire him now. Like, what what are you doing? I guess you're getting a jump on hiring the next coach, but. You know, you're not going to bring that coach in until later. I, it just, it's a big mess. There's zero doubt about that. You know, I don't, I don't know if anybody would have looked at Nebraska's schedule even after the way they struggled for the last few years and thought that they're going to lose to Northwestern. You know, just a, you know, they, they've, they're, they've been in shambles from time to time, and then clearly no expectation they're lo- losing to Georgia Southern. So. You know, I'm not so sure people would have expected them to beat Oklahoma next week, even on their home field. But now it definitely, if, if Scott Frost does survive the weekend, it, boy, it feels like, you know, it, it, I don't know if you want to classify it a must win, but whew, it, it feels pretty heavy for his future at Nebraska because, you know, if you're sitting one and three and you've got losses, especially to two teams that look, you know, you, you should have no no business losing to and then you lose to Oklahoma that feels pretty tenuous to me yeah and it, it doesn't you know seem to get much better with the, the look at their schedule they've got a their soft part of the schedule sort of comes after OU but there's still teams that could jump up and bite you they're at home against Indiana at Rutgers at Purdue versus Illinois and then at home against Minnesota you know, those we've known what Minnesota can do. Purdue's been really good at times over the last few years. Indiana's been dangerous. Uh, it, it, and you almost have to go on a run there and, and almost run that table because Nebraska ends with at Michigan, uh, at home versus Wisconsin, although Wisconsin obviously uh, lost today. And then they finish it out against Iowa, who's always a bear especially there in Iowa city. So, you know, if Scott Frost survives this week, if he survives next week, it might be difficult for him to survive, uh, you know, into next season for sure. Yeah. I mean, it just, I I just don't know. I just don't know where the the corner gets turned. You know, that's the thing that um, I think Last season, I, I know I talked to several Nebraska fans before that game and Norman, and, you know, they just I, – I, I didn't get the sense like they were ready to throw it in, throw in the towel at that point. But there was definitely a feeling of we need to see progress. We need to see this continue to improve. And, 
you know, I'm just not sure that there's evidence that it is, you know, I think they're probably maybe at the start of last year, you could say, well, you know, it, it hasn't been quite the, quite the disaster. There's been some progress, but now it just feels like they're spinning their wheels. They're losing close games. They can't beat teams they're supposed to beat. I mean, it's just the repeating cycle at this point. And, you know, I think they got to get out of it. You know, they brought in a guy that was supposed to be an offensive savior for them. And he's had the play calling taken from him. So, I mean, what, what exactly is, you know, what, what turns the corner? And I just don't know. I don't know what it is. That's, that's the thing that I'm, I just don't see. And so, you know, in that case, do you just cut your losses and say, we have to do something different? It's a tough, it's a tough thing because you're talking about a Husker legacy in Scott Frost, a beloved Husker. But, you know, at some point you just have to say, this this is not working. We can't keep doing this again and again and again. Yeah, and it's you know a di- a different deal than this. What I'm going to bring up, but there's a lot of similarities outside of the the actual positions that we're talking about. But you know, I I think about the decision that uh, Bob Stoops had to make with uh, um with Josh Heupel yeah. and having to move on there. And obviously it worked out really well for, for OU and for Bob Stoops as he brought in Lincoln Riley led to their, their resurgence there uh, over the last few years. But certainly it's really difficult to get yourself to that point to make the move. And, um, but it, it certainly seems like at this point, it's almost inevitable that uh, Nebraska is going to have to, to go that route. I think the, the question is just, when are they going to finally do it? Yeah. I think too. Go ahead, Justin. Go ahead. And I was going to say, I mean, and that's the tough thing about it is that obviously, you know, he is someone that the fans love and is someone that, you know, wasn't necessarily inherited a program that was in a great state anyways. You know, I mean, this is, he kind of inherited this and was tasked with trying to turn it around. And so, you know, it was a tough situation from the start. And, you know, like you said, I, I definitely do think it's just really a matter of, of what is going to be that nail in the coffin for him. Um, you know, whether that is the game we just saw or whether that is against OU. Well, and I think that the thing that I'll be curious to see is if he is the coach come next Saturday, you know, clearly his players have to understand what kind of tightrope he's walking. Does that, does that become, you know, a, uh, if, if they're still behind him, which I, I don't follow Nebraska close enough to know, you know, has he lost the locker room, those sorts of things. If he hasn't lost the locker room and those players like him, but they just haven't won for him, but they see this chance in a traditional rivalry game to go out and win, win at home, you know, do something for him, that could – I mean, I, I'm, I still think Oklahoma is a superior team, but you guys know how momentum can get going the wrong way and suddenly you find yourself in a tough situation. So, to me – if Scott Frost is on the sideline next Saturday, some people might say that's good for the Sooners. But if he still has that locker room and those guys are playing for him, that could be something that could really fuel those players. That'd be something I'd be a little bit leery of just from the don't let them get feeling good about themselves. You know, if you can put your foot, your foot on their neck early, don't let up. Go ahead and keep them down because I think that's one of those things that is tricky when the players do get the sense, my coach is playing, we're playing for his job. 
And if they want to keep him around, that adds a different layer to things for some teams. Yeah, no doubt about it. I, I think that uh, OU, it's going to be critical for them to get off to a quick start for all the reasons that you mentioned, Jenny, that they don't want to give Nebraska and Scott Frost any momentum in that game that they can use to to rally behind, especially in, in such a big game, uh, just historically. So it's going to be imperative for OU to get off to a fast start, do a better job than they did tonight at uh, establishing themselves early. And if they can put that game away and and move on toward big 12 play, it would be a a much better situation for them than giving the the Cornhuskers any hope there. But, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, even if Scott Frost is on the other end, I will probably go ahead and pick the Sooners to win by several touchdowns. But I'm just saying, don't give him hope if, if he is on the sideline. Yeah, no, I'm I'm absolutely with you on that one, uh, Jenny, on, on both parts of that. I think OU goes up there and wins, but uh, you never want to let uh, Nebraska feel like they're in the game with, uh, you know, everything that they've got going. It'll be an emotional game regardless uh, one way or another, but we'll see what comes out of uh, Lincoln over the next couple of days. Just looking through some headlines says that uh, I guess Nebraska students were chanting fire frost after the game uh not surprising there uh but uh you know we'll see ouch yeah not uh not good especially for a fan base that is known for uh supporting their team so well um uh, certainly a, a different look for them it'll be interesting to see what the atmosphere is like up there in lincoln it's been a while since i've been up there 2001 is the only game that i've covered there uh, I know there's OU fans who still have plenty of nightmares about that game and Eric Crouch and everything else that uh, went along with it. But uh should be a fun atmosphere up there. But we'll be talking plenty about OU Nebraska this week. We're going to wrap it up uh, there and let us uh, hopefully get some writing done and, and hopefully y'all can uh, get some sleep out there and uh, move on to a first uh, big-time NFL Sunday tomorrow. and see uh hopefully i can figure out where i'm gonna rank these teams uh here in a little bit (laughs) and line out to 25 because it's going to be difficult have fun ryan yeah i appreciate it so thank y'all so much for joining us uh once again we'll be back uh tuesday afternoon with another one of these and then obviously after next week's uh game up in lincoln we'll do it again but thank you so much for joining us Have a good week, and you can read our stuff every day at Oklahoma.com and every morning in the Oklahoma for the best OU coverage anyway.